Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mom and Dad are Fighting is sponsored by Fracture, the company that prints photos directly onto glass. Preserve memories with a unique and modern gift that's a bit like hanging an iPad on your wall. Go to fracture.me to upload your photo and get 15% off your order with the code Mom and Dad. That's fracture.me and use the code Mom and Dad. And by The Terrible Two, the hilarious new children's book series that's filled with pranks, hijinks, and cows. Perfect for fans of The Diary of a Wimpy Kid, it's by New York Times best-selling authors, longtime friends, and certified pranksters Mac Barnett and Jory John. That's The Terrible Two from Amulet Books. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast, Thursday, January 15, 2015, the I Quit edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate. I'm the dad of Lyra, who is nine, and Harper, who is seven. I'm Allison Benedict, also an editor at Slate, and I'm the mom of Harry, who is six, Sam, who is three for a couple more days, and Wally, who is one. Happy birthday, Sam. Thanks, Dan. Hi, Allison. Hey. Welcome so, back. Um, this, thanks. Thanks. Uh, I was gone last episode, but I really thought that Gawker Media Investigations editor John Cook made an excellent guest dad. <laughs> we got a lot of emails complimenting his radio voice. Yes, he's his. He doesn't look like his voice. He. I, I don't know what that means. I was just a total like I'm just insulting my husband. No, no, he looks saying, cuter than his voice. Yeah, he doesn't have a face <laughs> made for radio. He has a voice made for radio. <laughs> right. I was very jealous of your rapport. It was like you guys had known each other for years. <laughs> on this week's episode, we will talk about quitting. When should you push your children to follow through on a sport, an instrument, or an activity, and when should you let them quit? Then we will talk to the author of an essay about being a parent while suffering from lifelong chronic pain. Plus, triumphs and fails, recommendations, and a listener call. 
about butts. Hey, if you are a fan of Slate's podcast, please consider joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You will get special bonus segments that are only for members on Slate's most popular podcasts, including this very podcast. That's right. You get bonus triumphs and fails with Slate staffers. If you're a Slate Plus member, go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. And if you're a fan of this podcast, please tell your friends. We love our listeners. You guys keep us in line, and we want even more listeners because we are greedy. So please call a friend on the phone tonight, someone you haven't talked to in way too long. And after you guys catch up and you ask after each other's families and you reveal to her that you always resented her in high school, tell her about our podcast. We would be really, really grateful. One other announcement. We've got a great event coming up in New York City, Outward Live, on Tuesday, February 3rd. Join the writers and editors behind Outward, Slate's LGBTQ blog, for an evening of queer conversation about the latest gay news, culture, and controversy. It's Tuesday, February 3rd at City Winery in New York. J. Brian Lauder, Mark Joseph Stern, and June Thomas from Slate will share the stage with the great actress and singer Leah Delaria, who, play, of course, plays Big Boo on Orange is the New Black. Uh, and at the end of the evening, audience members will have an opportunity to pose their very own Ask a Homo questions. As you may recall or you may not know, Outward has a great video feature called Ask a Homo in which staffers on the blog answer questions from both clueless straights and curious gays alike about gay life and culture. It's super fun, and they will answer a couple questions live from you, the audience. Again, that's Tuesday, February 3rd, City Winery, New York. For more information, go to slate.com slash OutwardNYC. All right. Triumphs and fails. Allison. What do you got? I have a triumph. Hooray! Uh, Yeah. So winter has struck and everyone in my house is sick, which we will be for the next, you know, several months, including me. You can tell by my voice. So this weekend I was sick and John was taking Sam to a thousand, approximately 1,000 birthday parties and had Wally with him. So Harry, poor Harry, was stuck at home with me. And we just, like, the best I could do was get a blanket and tea and play board games with him. Because for some reason, I don't know why I did this, but for some reason I was like, he's watched too much TV. So I didn't... <laughs> I oh, didn't man. Let, I know, crazy. Uh, let him watch TV. The one time you say that. I know, but he's really they've really been watching a lot of TV lately. <laughs> so anyway, we played a bunch of board games, including Trouble. Have you played the game Trouble? Not since I was a kid, no. Right, so I played that. I played it a lot growing up with my dad. So at one point, he had the opportunity to take me out, to take my man out, and he didn't. And he said to me, I feel bad because you're so sick, so I'm not going to take you out. Oh. Which was really, really sweet. But I said to him, it's your decision. You can make that decision, but I'm, you know, I probably won't do the same to you. <laughs> and he said, no, Mom, you're sick. I'm not going to take you out. And then the, my turn came, and click, I hit the little bubble, and I could take him out, and I did. And I love it. I love that. Yeah. And he was like, he was totally fine. He thought it was funny. He was like, oh, man, you know, you got me. But I felt really good about it. I was psyched. I mean, I think generally I don't want to let my kids win. But this was like a really sort of explicit, you know, like, fuck you. I'm taking you out. You have to learn this. And that's what my dad did to me. Um, When I was little, and I remember the great feeling of actually beating him at games because I knew he didn't let me win. So, triumph. Funnily enough, my triumph is also about playing games with kids and whether you let them win or not. I also have a triumph. Um, It's sort of a complicated one, but I think it is actually... It was really great, and I was really happy about it. So over New Year's, uh, we went to Milwaukee to visit my brother and sister-in-law and their three adorable children. 
you. This is why John was subbing for me as guest dad on the podcast. It was a great trip. And one really great part about it was getting to do sports stuff with my nephew, who's nine. Lyra does not care about sports really of any kind. And Harper is very athletic, but doesn't really care about ball sports that much. So I really like hanging out with my nephew because he just likes to like throw a football around or play pickle or whatever. He also really likes playing Madden uh, on the Wii, Madden NFL on the Wii. And my triumph was a two-part triumph involving my nephew and Madden. I guess it was an uncle triumph, an uncling triumph. Part one of the triumph was that I trash-talked that kid for, like, days about how I was going to crush him in Madden. I was uh, I was going to, you know, tear him down. I was going to say he plays as the Patriots because they grew up in Boston. So I told him how many times I was going to sack Tom Brady and how touchdown Tom would end up just hobbling off the field. And eventually, even when we were actually, like, firing up the game, I was like, all right, you ready to get torched, kid? And then part two of my triumph was that when we actually played, I lost. <laughs> I- I did, but I didn't lose on purpose. I played as hard as I could, and he beat me. That's awesome. So he could not have been happier. So I feel that that's a total uncle triumph right up and down the line. Yeah, I love that. He's going to really trash talk you next time. Yep. Uh, well, I'll still trash talk him, but I also am going to practice a lot more. So I can actually beat him. <laughs> Let's pause for a word from our sponsor, Fracture. Fracture is a company that prints photos directly onto glass. So instead of having a frame and a mount and matting and stuff, you instead get this like very elegant, beautiful, slick, rectangular or square photo printed directly on a piece of glass that you can then hang right on your wall. The colors really pop. It looks super cool. It looks, I mean, it looks like you're in a museum and like a photography installation in a museum and fracture makes these things and sends them to you. You send them the photo, they send you the fracture and a little screw and a a little kit to put it on your wall. They're pretty affordable. Prices start at $15 for their small square size. And here's what I like about them the most. So if you're like me, Allison, you guys are really great about printing out photos and framing them and putting them on the wall. You always take care to take lots of photos of your children and show them because you're proud of your children. Are you mocking my ad copy from last week? Who, me? What? No. No. (laughs) Um, But so, but one problem that you might have is that it's really hard to find frames for square photos. And a lot of our photos are square now because we take them on our phones and then we Instagram them. And so they just come out square and we sort of have the... pleasing number of square photos, including my current favorite photo of Harper when we were at the Kennedy Center and she was trying on these like kid opera costumes and she has a Viking helmet on and she is howling into the frozen wastes with rage and fury. And it's a great photo, but it's square and we can't frame it because there's no good square frames. But Fracture, among the many other cool things they do, is they have really cool square photo mounting in different sizes. And so... You can get 15% off your first order uh, on fra- from Fracture by going to Fracture.me, that's Fracture.me, and use the code MOMANDDAD. That's all caps, M-O-M-A-N-D-D-A-D, uh, to get 15% off your order at Fracture. They're super cool, and I encourage you to try them out. All right, let's move on to our first segment, On Quitting. Okay. Lyra wants to quit the violin, Allison. She joined the orchestra at the beginning of the year, and toward the end of winter break, she told us she just didn't like it, and she wasn't good at it, and she wanted to quit. So should we let her? This week, the Washington Post ran an essay by Catherine Reynolds Lewis called, fittingly, When Kids Want to Quit. 
it's got some really good advice in it. Specifically, it has a great tip that when your child starts an activity, you might consider putting in writing that the child will see the activity all the way through, sort of like a joint contract that you can hold your child to later if this is something that's important to you. We didn't have Lyra sign any such thing when she started orchestra, but I definitely feel a sense, you know, in the back of my mind that she made this commitment and she ought to see it through. And it's important for her to learn to try and get better at things, even if she isn't great at them. Uh, but I also feel a little bit torn about it. Allison, would you let your kids quit something that they signed up for halfway through? No. First no, of all, you would push them. I would push, push them. them. I'm a yeah. I'm I'm a tough tough cookie. You're, you're a tiger um, mom. Yeah, not because I care about my kids being exceptional at things, <laughs> but because you spent money. I'm assuming on this violin. Uh, it's a rental right. from the school, so a, a little bit of money, but not a lot of money. Okay. No, I mean, I don't think she has to play violin forever, but she should see it through till the end of this year. I mean, unless she's unless there's some like in, if she's in some sort of physical <laughs> or mental danger, <laughs> if she's being bullied the or violin you know, it is turns out that her, she has like some sort of slip disc in her neck or something. But otherwise, especially because she chose it and she's old enough to know what that means. No, I don't think you should let her quit. But. All right. Well, so now this is driving me in the other direction. What does it hurt if Lyra quits violin? Like who it's not her orchestra is not going to suffer. She's not like letting other people down or putting other people in the lurch. Look, is she not actually? No. I mean, it's a sixth grade or it's a, sorry, it's a fourth grade orchestra. There is no such thing as leaving them in the lurch. They haven't even had a concert yet. Look here. Here's my thought on this. In general, I am a huge fan of quitting. I love quitting. I've quit multiple jobs. I quit tons of activities when I was a kid, and I don't really regret quitting any of them. I didn't want to do them anymore, and I stopped. And every time, and maybe this is like the secret core of this, is that every time Harper or Lyra quits something, that means that is like one less time I have to spend driving them around to fucking gymnastics practice or yoga class or piano lessons or whatever. It's no, it's no skin off my nose if they quit. In fact, it, it often makes my life measurably better when they quit activities. And I don't, I'm like not fooled in, into thinking that somehow Lyra is going to push through this and become a professional concert violinist. That's definitely not going to happen. In fact, Allison, we have a real fear of our children becoming so good at something that it like takes over our lives. We don't want to be those parents who who spend every single weekend driving to Roanoke for travel soccer. That's ridiculous. Who, you won't like, be. I, you know. Because my kids aren't good enough at soccer? Is <laughs> right. that what you're saying? Exactly, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not suggesting that you like sign your kids up for a thousand things and then don't let them quit any of them and that they should be totally overscheduled and you should be schlepping around town all the time. You know, maybe you put limits on the things that your kids can choose. They choose one thing for this, you know, whatever six month span uh, and they see it through and then they see it, if they don't like it then they don't have to do it again I but mean what a sad way to live life living only being able to choose one thing and then or it, two you, things it, whatever works for your schedule it? but how are they re- I mean how does she really know she doesn't like it how long has she been doing it for she's been doing it for like three months uh, I, I knew I didn't like viola after three months in fourth grade so I quit I you know yeah I'm not pro quitting. I, I certainly don't think like she has to play violin for the rest of her life. I don't think, you know, I think she can make a decision when this thing ends if she wants to sign up again. But I think like, first of all, there will be several situations in her life that she'll want to quit that you won't let her. For instance, like not after school activities, but let's say you like enroll her in a camp and she doesn't like it. You're not going to let her 
you know, you paid your money. Like, she has to learn about sticking. Also, practice often makes, like, the reason a lot of kids quit things is because they feel like they're not good at things. And, of course, they're not good at things. She shouldn't be good at the violin. But practice makes kids more comfortable doing all sorts of things. Like, my... Harry is really scared of sports, like really scared of sports, and we can't get him to choose to enroll in any athletic endeavor. Uh, And we're not pushing him to, but if he does finally choose that, I'll really be excited about it. Not because I care about him being good at sports or being involved in sports for his life, but because like I want him to be comfortable if like a game breaks out at a, you know, at a party or in the park. And I think, like, these experiences, even if they're not entirely fun for the kids, are ultimately, like, that nauseous feeling you have in your stomach on your way to piano lesson or whatever, it ultimately pays off in some way, even if it's not, like, in the way that means you are good at piano. <laughs> so I should make Lyra keep doing violin in case an impromptu fiddling contest breaks out on the playground. I mean, so you're just making this about violin, it. but what if it was something she wanted to quit that you actually cared about? Like, what if she well, had yeah, enrolled so in some is... class that was, like, yeah. you know, I don't know, some book what is your what kind of things do you care about? I don't even know. I don't care about anything else. <laughs> a com- no, this Let's is say a re- she enrolled in like a, a stand-up comedy thing for kids and then she wanted to quit. Uh, well, I mean, I think a real like the thing that would drive me crazy is if she was in a play and she wanted to quit because A, I care about plays and B, I love plays and C, then you really are leaving other people in the lurch. If you quit a play, you're fucking the other people in the play like that seems like a bigger deal to me. And you're right that in a lot of ways this is couched in, you know, I don't actually care that much about the violin. There are, you know, I I love music and I want her to be musical in some way, but I don't care if it's violin and I'm happy her, for her to find something else. One of the things we really struggle with right now is striking a balance between letting them try lots of things and pushing them to finish those things that they try. We want them to have a broad array of experiences because we have this idea that at some point they're going to find the things they actually love. And so with that goal in mind, it sort of seems to me that a better course to do is to let them try as many things as possible. And if they just don't like it, just bag it. Like, but those things don't, don't contradict each other. I mean, your kids have many, many years and many, many. Why am I blanking on the word? What do they call it now at school? Not semesters, but seasons. I mean, you know, they can try something in the winter and try something in the spring and try something in the fall. I mean, there, there are plenty of <laughs> opportunities to try all different things and finish them all. I want to try them all now. <laughs> Here's what I think we should do. I I sort of actually think this is the way we should go about it. And tell me what you think of this. I think that we should tailor it a little better to our actual children as opposed to some philosophical ideal of mine, which says that quitting is great and everyone should quit everything. I think it should be a little different depending on the kid. I think Harper is a kid who has a lot of follow through. When she tries something, she tries really hard. She's really dogged. She's really persistent. She So if she says that she wants to quit something, I think that I should maybe take that a little more seriously and respect that wish on the grounds that she has definitely considered her decision and she isn't just like blowing off steam because she's frustrated that day because that's not really her style. But Lyra does still struggle, as you mentioned, in in the context of wanting kids to be able to be better at this, she struggles with the notion that that you should keep doing something to get better at it, even if you're not good at it right now. And that is hard for her. And it's obviously a skill that we want to foster. It's a knowledge that working at something is valuable because it makes you better, even if it isn't fun at first, is a skill that will be useful in life and and makes for a good, a better person and a happier person. So we should probably be a bit more dubious and make her follow through on stuff. More often, I think that these contracts that Catherine Reynolds-Lewis talks about in this Washington Post piece would be a pretty good idea for Lyra specifically, but I still stand 
by this specific decision that I don't care if she does violin and I don't want to have that stupid violin around my house and I want to take that violin back and never see it again. I would like to hear back about if you really do do this and tailor your you know responses to your two different kids, how that works, because I think that gets at one issue that a lot of parents have that if you have more than one kid is like not just in these decisions, but in general, like not making these rules that apply to everyone. And, you know, it, right. it's it's not fair. Right. Everything's not fair. I mean, it would be not fair no matter what. So I feel like that the answer is we just have to deal with not being fair. I also think the contracts won't work. I don't think you don't think I so? mean, I don't see my kids. Maybe maybe it's different when they get a bit older, but I don't see my kids, you know, giving a shit that they signed a piece of paper or feeling any any more, you know, need to commit to that than they did to this thing that they signed up for till you take their ass to court teach them to respect a contract (laughs) what do you think listeners do you let your kids quit how do you get your kids to work hard at something even when they're not good at it yet actually how do you get yourself to work hard at something (laughs) even when you're not good at it yet please email us at mom and dad at slate.com and let us know that's m-o-m-a-n-d-d-a-d at slate.com i haven't been enjoying doing this podcast for months but i'm still doing it <laughs> I'm terrible at podcasting, but I just keep giving it the same college. Keep trying, keep trying. Because of a contract I signed. All right, let's move on to our call in question. We have a really great call today. Joe from Chicago, you're on the air. Hi, my name's Joe. I have a question for mom and dad are fighting. Uh, my two and a half year old has recently discovered that the key to humor is the word but. As an extremely immature person, my instinct is to indulge her in all the butt humor she wants. We change the lyrics to songs to be butt, 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 When she antagonizes her mother by repeatedly asking for a cookie or whatever, I can redirect her by chanting, butt, butt, butt. We make up stories in which she visits Dogland, and in her latest adventure, she meets Sparky, a magical dog who has seven magical butts. The next time I go to a restaurant and I have to give a name, I'm thinking of giving the name But. This will greatly anger my wife, which is a lot of fun. Uh, so last night, my daughter asked me to chase her around the house. My wife said, Daddy's not really running. So I said, You're not running. <coughs> and when I made the fart noises, I swayed my butt from side to side in an animated fashion of an old Disney cartoon. My daughter laughed a lot and joined in. I figure I might as well keep saying but until my daughter is sick of it. However, I wonder if there's another side to this. I think my mother would redirect me if I said but too much. My dad would probably say, Christ's sake, stop saying but, it's fucking annoying. And if I said but to my grandmother, she would yell at me until I cried. I haven't read anything that suggests there's any problem with using excessive butt humor with your children but it would seem consistent with the hated trend of very permissive parenting. Uh, what do you think? Is butt humor okay? Do I need to set limits on it? Thank you. Joe from Chicago. What a great question. It's my favorite question we've maybe ever received at this podcast. The answer is you should use as much butt-related humor as you want. Butts are hilarious. Kids think butts are even funnier than you think butts are. Use it now while you can. Eventually, kids will be so embarrassed by you that Talking about butts with them won't be fun anymore. I'm Allison, also what do you think? Pro, I'm pro butt talk, pro potty humor in general. I don't know, is butt talk potty humor? Whatever. Yeah, no, it's it's body humor. Yeah, it's body. Uh, yeah. The yeah. only, you know, the two things that you mentioned, Joe, that are that give me pause. One is like 
your wife doesn't like this and this is antagonizing her intentionally, which I'm also pro. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like last episode's podcast was a testament to right. spouses antagonizing each other. Right. But if it's like actually a real issue in your house, then maybe cut it down a little bit. And then the other thing is, I don't know, you know, when your kids start school, if there's... Uh, if you want her to be, you know, dropping butt here and butt there and singing butt, 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 butt at school, which, but, but, you know, but, 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 I'm but. also cool with, but, but, but. Uh, you know, she she might need to learn to, that butts are like a funny joke with dad at home and not for, not for school. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, with stuff like but this, you up. just, you butt it up, but you enforce context, right? Like we... We butt jokes are funny, but we tell our kids we avoid using bathroom words at the dinner table because that is a place where it's it's not that appropriate. And we tell our kids be respectful and don't tell your butt jokes to people who might be offended by them, like your grandmother or your teacher or nuns or whatever. Like, but we don't care about them and we think they're funny. And if we if you're doing it too much, we'll tell you to stop for a while and give it a break. But it seems to me that. And I, this is sort of like our – and this is a larger conversation maybe, but this is our broader take on swearing really with our kids. Like we don't actually care that much if our kids know what swears are and hear us swearing sometimes. And eventually – I mean we're, they're very shy about it right now, but I don't think I will really even care that much about our kids swearing in front of us. But we talk to them a lot about using language – I guess we're talking to them about context clues and and – using the right language when you talk to different people in different circumstances and thinking about what other people expect from you and what other people hope for out of you and what would offend them and how to treat them respectfully. And I think that that's a great lesson to teach too with your butt Huber Joe from Chicago. (laughs) Great question. Yes. Great question, Joe. So yes, if you have a question, it doesn't have to be about butts, although it could be. It totally, we would talk more about butts. So give us a call at 424-255-7833. That number again is 424-255-RUDE, as you are not being by talking about butts. Joe from Chicago. Okay. This week's podcast is also sponsored by the hilarious, prank-filled new children's book series, The Terrible Two from Amulet Books. Written by New York Times bestselling authors, longtime friends, and certified pranksters Mac Barnett and Jory John, the series is about Miles Murphy, who in the first book is the best prankster his school has ever seen, but then he's forced to move to a new school where there already is a reigning prankster king. The book is full of funny pranks, which your kids are going to want to try out, so watch out. You should like these books, Joe. I bet there's some butt pranks. But it's also a story about being the new kid at school and wanting so badly to carve out an identity like best prankster as a way of not feeling invisible in a new environment. Kids will really relate to Miles and his experience. And it's also a great book for kids who are ready to read chapter books on their own, but still need some great illustrations to keep them going. Also, the chapters are really short, which I know my son, Harry, will love. He's still like a little bit reluctant to read chapter books on his own. uh, And that is a huge uh, push for him, a huge plus for him. If your kids are already fans of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series, this is a, also a great book. Uh, Which every kid's is, yes, basically. If. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a great uh, new series for them to get into. So give them this book, give them a book light to read at night. It's The Terrible Two by Mac Barnett and Jory John. The book is super charming. The illustrations are great. Amulet is a really great publisher that publishes a lot of great comics material. Uh, and uh, I re- and it's super fun. I really recommend it. And I also recommend in general the 
the concept of pranks. Lyra got a prank kit for Christmas from her grandfather, which I was not that excited about. But the time that she actually did fool me with the fake dog poop is probably going to be the highlight of her year. <laughs> She's never been happier than when I really actually thought that that was real dog poop. Okay, on to our next segment. Every afternoon, it is the same. I walk into my daughter's daycare classroom, and she comes running toward me, arms raised, chanting, Up! And every afternoon, I kneel down, give her a hug, and gently remind her that I can't pick her up. What kind of mother refuses to pick up her child? What kind of mother winces at the very idea and instead cajoles, bribes, and hurries her child into physical independence? A mother with chronic pain. That is the opening of a recent slate piece by Sarah Erdrich, all about her experience of parenting with chronic pain. Sarah is joining us on the show to tell us both about the difficult aspects of this experience so far for herself and for her daughter, and about what she thinks her daughter can learn from it all. Sarah, welcome. Thank you for having me. So first, just start off by telling our listeners a little about your condition and also uh, the the decision-making process of deciding to have kids. Okay. Um, Well, I've had chronic pain in one form or another my entire life. I was born with damaged nerves in my face and my head. Those were not diagnosed until I was in my late 20s. So I spent almost three decades with constant low-level headaches that sometimes got worse and a lot of pain around my eyes. In 1997, when I was a sophomore in college, pain spontaneously developed in my right wrist, which since I'm right-handed was kind of a problem, and that took eight years to successfully diagnose. And about six years ago, I developed muscle spasms in my shoulders and neck. When they get really bad, the spasms kind of encompass Everything above the, above the shoulders, my face, my jaw. So whether all those are related or not, I'm not sure, but those are kind of the three distinct forms of chronic pain I've experienced. And because of that pain, did you think about not having a child, or was that always just something you were going to do? Well, it definitely was something that gave me pause. You know, when my husband and I began discussing whether or not to have a biological child, that was pretty early on in our marriage. We've been together for several years prior to getting married, so he knew about my conditions. But when we started talking about having a child, we were mainly concerned about the strain that pregnancy could cause with these conditions, because there's not a lot known about chronic pain in pregnancy. There's not a lot of of research about chronic pain, period. So it was very difficult to really get, I guess, to feel secure in thinking, okay, if I get pregnant, my health is going to not suffer so dramatically but through the pregnancy. That was kind of our biggest concern. So we did, you know, we, we talked with what specialists we had access to. We did what research, again, we had access to. And finally, after talking about it and doing all this for, I want to say, two years <laughs> of going back and forth on the, on the issue, we finally decided, let's just see if I can even get pregnant. And if I do you know, we'll just take it from there. And I was very fortunate. I had fantastic obstetricians who were very common sense about managing pain during pregnancy and very, again, common sense about what medications I could stay on. And so that helped a lot. (laughs) And so as a parent now with a child, how old is your daughter? She's just over two. She's just over two. So in what ways do you find that parenting feels different for you than you think it does for other people? Are there things you can't do or ways you can't interact with your child? 
there's a lot that I can't do. Um, I know a lot of parents would, <laughs> would kill me for saying this, but I haven't changed my daughter's diaper in over a year. And sometimes I actually wish I could because just even that is too, it's just too much. That's something that my husband does and that her daycare, she's in daycare full time um, in large part because I can't take care of her uh, for more than about an hour by myself. So there's a lot that I can't do and a lot that I wish I could do. Um, there's also been a lot of, I guess, adapting that my husband and I have had to do to, to maximize what I can do with my daughter, which is mainly verbal, reading to her, spending that kind of time with her, so I don't feel like I'm, I'm uh, getting shortchanged or that she is. She's also at a really, you know, th- this age is a really physical age for a kid. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, you're still like, I feel like a two kids still want to be, you know, picked up, as you said, still need whatever to be helped into the bath, yeah. things like that, which will change. Uh, and you talk a bit of it in your piece about how, like, you can see a future of her having, like, you not pushing her towards more physical independence, but her just really having it because of her age and things being uh, easier than what other things do you think about this experience will actually be positive for her? One of the biggest, and I, I mentioned this in the piece, is the fact that she has a father who does the majority of the parent of the child rearing responsibilities. He does the majority of the domestic work in our household. And I know a lot of dads do a huge, a much more, you know, in our generation than in my parents' generation. But she's still, she's going to grow up seeing that a father is the one who braids her hair, is the one who cooks dinner, is the one who does all these things that, you know, in a lot of families that we're friends with that are kind of still the roles of the mother primarily. So I think it's going to be really good for her to see that that these gender roles can can be and should be so fluid um, and that her father can do all these things and, and just accepts it as normal. But I also think the fact that, you know, I hope she'll see that even though she does have a mother who is considered disabled, that's not the, the end-all and be-all of our relationship. You know, that you can have disabilities, you can have limitations, and still do a lot of things. So I'm hoping that that will be a positive experience for her. Well, definitely, I mean, research shows, and it's definitely the case that people who are in families with people with disabilities do feel more comfortable around lots of different kinds of people for the entire rest of their life. They just, I think, are are more easily able to adapt to different situations and to be able to look past disabilities when dealing with people into adulthood. And that seems like a valuable thing for a child to have in her life. And I, and I do think that that is something that is, is worth noting about this situation. I agree. And I think it's also interesting to note that I'm considered handicapped. I don't look handicapped. You know, the, the common assumption that people have when they hear the word handicapped or disabled, I think we think of it as being with a wheelchair or a cane or something that's very uh, visual and very kind of an automatic signal. So I'm, I hope that she'll also, and that I, I think this is experience with other um, children who are raised by chronic pain parents, is that when the parents have what's considered an invis- invisible disability, you know, I hope that she'll be more empathetic and maybe more patient and understand that someone could be struggling in a way that you're not even aware of. And I think that's a very valuable lesson to learn as well. It's a pretty valuable lesson to learn about all people. I mean, whether it's a physical problem or any kind of problem that someone is facing, that, that kind of empathy is something that is really hard to teach kids. Exactly. For my kids, that it's really, really hard to teach it to them. And so I think that that, that does seem very useful. 
So from your piece, um, you said in the end that, you know, this is harder than you thought it would be as much as you thought it through. And you can't answer the question of whether you think you should have done it or not. Uh, (laughs) You know, how do you reconcile those thoughts? I mean, it's a difficult question. You know, it's becoming a parent has made my health a lot worse, and there's no getting around that, and it's put a lot of strain on my marriage. And, you know, I was going to say my husband would, would very easily agree with. That said, you know, I, I love my daughter. I'm very glad that my husband and I made the decision to have a biological child. It's something that we both wanted, and I'm glad that it worked out for us in that way. But... You know, originally we thought we would have more than one child. We thought that we both grew up with siblings and we wanted our any child we had to have that relationship. So I think that's kind of one of the the real regrets I have about having chronic pain and how it's affected my parenting is that my daughter's not going to have siblings. Even We've even thought about adopting, but that raising a child, no matter what the age, would just be too big a strain on my health. So I think that's kind of the, the biggest regret that I have and that I do feel guilt over is that I'd like to be able to have my child experience that sibling relationship and it's just not going to be possible. Thank you for coming to talk about your experience with us, Sarah, and we look forward to hearing back from you. Well, thank you very much. The piece is called Parenting with Chronic Pain. It's on Slate. It's really great. Please read it. Sarah, thanks again. Thank you. All right, let's move on to recommendations. Today, I am recommending a family movie. I think for many parents, the sort of like the sea of identical seeming children's movies based on characters that you sort of know something about it can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes. And I, we definitely do triage, like we split the movies into ones that we think we will might actually be able to tolerate and then ones that they can just go see with their grandparents, like Annie. Annie was one they could just go see with their grandparents. We were not interested in that. But... My urge to all mom and dad are fighting listeners is do not push the movie Paddington off on your grandparents because Paddington is a legitimately good movie. It comes out this Friday. My kids loved it. I also really liked it a lot. It is very, very sweet and gentle and British. It has in its cast Lord Grantham and the new Doctor Who and Nicole Kidman and Jim Broadbent and Sally Hawkins from Happy Go Lucky, the Mike Lee movie, who is great. It is very visually inventive. It is really funny without being that stupid. And it has a very subtle but persistent and, I think, welcome message about accepting people from far away into your community. It's really great. I liked it a lot. Paddington, go see it. Okay. I'm going to recommend – Dan has heard me talk about this now for the past few days, and we might talk about it on a future show. But I'm going to recommend Togetherness, the new HBO show by Mark and Jay Duplass uh, on Sunday nights. The pilot premiered last Sunday. This past Sunday, This past Sunday. But I binge-watched because, lucky us people at Slate, sometimes we get screeners in advance and get to watch a whole bunch of stuff in advance. Uh, I binge-watched it last night instead of preparing for this podcast. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. Um, And, you know, it's uh, it's about – it features a a married couple uh, and then two single people who live with this married couple because they've fallen on hard times and so they crash with this married couple. But the reason that it applies to mom and dad are fighting is the married couple has two kids and they're just kind of – coming out of this sleepless haze. Their baby, I think, is, you know, is now one, maybe. Uh, And so they can sort of think about having sex again and going out at night, getting a babysitter and going out and trying to have fun together again. But it's not that easy. (laughs) It's kind of excruciating to watch these two people try to connect 
while feeling pretty isolated, I think, even though they're like lying next to each other in bed. And I highly recommend it, even though it's a tough watch. It's really funny and really moving and really great togetherness. Sounds like a great thing for us to discuss when we are emotionally prepared to discuss that with each other. I look forward in to front hearing about your sex life. Yep. Get, prepare yourself, <laughs> listeners. All right. That's our show. Please email us at momanddad at slate.com to suggest topics or recommend books or guests or things we should watch or whatever. And if you've got a question that you would like us to answer on the air, please, once again, give us a call at any hour. Leave us a message at 424-255-RUDE. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Just search for Mom and Dad on the iTunes store. If you search Mom and Dad now, we're the first thing that comes up. And leave a comment or a rating. That helps people find the show. And again, please tell your friends. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman. Thanks to the managing producer of Slate Podcast, Joel Meyer, and the executive producer, Andy Bowers. Thanks to Sarah Erdrich for coming on the show. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.